morning. Thank you for being here this morning. It's been uh, a fun weekend with our church and just all that we've had going on. Uh, yesterday we had a, a student event where we had three other churches join us and it was just really cool uh, along the similar lines of what Matt was saying just multiple churches coming together multiple groups of young people coming together to worship the same God is uh, is a beautiful thing and we had a we had a pink color war uh, yesterday color powder and so if you see like a, a smurf walking around it's actually just a, a middle school boy who didn't shower last night uh, so uh, this morning I was still pulling out uh, blue powder out of my ears uh, and so it was, it was a lot of fun, and it's just a lot of fun magnifying Christ with, with other like-minded groups and, and just worshiping Jesus. But if you would, if you have your missions booklet, you can turn to the notes page in there, and you can take notes uh, if you'd like to this morning. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. And I wonder uh, if you've ever in your life had a moment or a season where you've wrestled with the question, why am I here? If you've ever asked yourself or gone through a hard season, maybe a, a job transition or just a tough season in life where you ask the question, why am I here? Why am I alive right now? And as Christians, we can answer that question in, in many different ways that are accurate and correct and, and very encouraging. I truly believe that the Christian life is the most purposeful life that you can live. And so today we're going to talk about our mission as the church, what God has put us here for. And so we're going to talk about one of the reasons that you and I are alive today. One of the reasons that you and I have breath in our lungs today is to accomplish the God-given mission in our lives. You might ask, well, what is the mission? What's the mission? What's my purpose? What am I here for? What is this church here for? Our mission is given by Jesus to us, and it is to, to go to the nations with the gospel to in everywhere that we go share the life-giving message of the gospel. Here at Calvary, we're passionate about going with the gospel where it's needed. You might ask, like, when you say the nations, what are you talking about? We're talking about everyone, everywhere, from your next-door neighbor to the unreached people group in a third-world country. The nations is everyone. And we are to go to everywhere, every single person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is laid out in Matthew 28 by Jesus where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he says in the last line, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The great commission is given to all believers. It is a, it's a call that rests on all of our lives and it's a mission that we are all to live out. Not just those, those great missionaries in, in other countries, but all of us, wherever God has placed us, we are there to carry out this mission. I want you to dream with me for a second. Imagine if our church, if everyone that is a Christian in this room took this call seriously. If you began to see yourself as just an everyday missionary, like, I'm here to share the gospel. Imagine our next baptism service. If there were like five of you that were baptizing people that you shared the gospel with, how cool would that be? That you were going out into your workplace, sharing the gospel and seeing people get saved. That's what the church should be and that's what we're called here to do. Here at Calvary, we want all of our members to be going with the gospel. Not just the varsity level uh, church members, which isn't a thing. We want all of our church members to be going with the gospel. We also believe that the power in the church is through evangelism and discipleship in a lot of ways. Uh, Oswald Smith said this. He said, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. 
Meaning if we as a body do not go out and share the gospel, this church eventually will cease to exist. That's the, the method for, for growth. Or if you want to be a part of a church that, that changes a city, changes a culture, you need to be a part of a church that evangelizes and disciples. What Jesus calls us to do. That is how we grow. That is how we make an impact. And so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at a church in the book of Acts that was expecting God to move, and they followed him when he called. And then we're going to see kind of the results of their, their efforts, of their missionary journey. So if you would look first, we're going to consider the idea of preparation and calling from the first three verses. You see in verse one, it says that the, the church at Antioch, they were, they were there, this church, it was a very diverse group of, of members. It was not just all one nationality, but they were a, a diverse group. And it says in verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Saul is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray and then let's dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you that, as Matt said earlier, the nations are worshiping you right now. There are people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who are praising your name in this moment and we are just joining along in that. And I pray that as we look at your word and as we open it, as we study it, that we would continue to worship you and that you would stir our hearts to go with the gospel, to declare your name here in the triangle, but across the globe as well. God, would you be glorified and would you be honored in everything that happens in these next few moments? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard about something called an ultra marathon, but it is a race that like one person runs and they can be up to 100 miles in length. So one person running 100 miles and one race. It's, it's a crazy thing. And, and these runners, you can go on YouTube and kind of watch their journey, but they will spend months and months and months, really a whole lifetime preparing for one of these races. And, and they spend a lot of time training, and as they get closer to the race, they will ramp up the intensity of their workouts to prepare their mind and their body for what they're going to endure in those 100 miles, which I, I still, I, I can't fathom why someone would choose to do that, but they do it. And, and in, in their preparation, really, their success in this race depends on their preparation, whether they, they have a good workout and recovery plan, whether they, they diet well, they train well, they have a, a good group of people helping uh, prep them for this race. If they don't prepare, they're going to fail. <laughs> you don't just wake up and decide you're going to run 100 miles and, and not stop. They have to prepare. And for us, with the Great Commission resting on the lives of all believers, we should prepare as well. We should be preparing to go with the gospel at any time, to any place, to any people. And we get a sneak peek at this church in Antioch, and we see what they were doing before they sent Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles with the gospel. If you read the New Testament, you see that Paul is known for being one of the main guys and really the first guy that takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And you say, what is, what is it? what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who wasn't a Jew. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's people. But when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, the gospel was made available for all. It wasn't just a Jewish thing, but it was for everybody. And so at the start of the church, you see them, they begin sharing the gospel with the Jews. Like Peter preaches and ministers to the Jews. But Paul goes out to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. You and I today are Gentiles. And so they're one of, he's one of the first people that goes to the Gentiles with the gospel. The church at Antioch is the first 
first church that we read in the book of Acts that sends missionaries to the Gentiles. One writer would say that they were one of the first churches that, that understood foreign missions. They're one of the first ones that understood God's heart is for the nations to hear the gospel, so we're gonna send people to the nations with the gospel. And so you ask, what was this church doing as they were getting ready to send these missionaries? Like, what were they doing? What were they focusing on? And we see in the passage that they were worshiping and fasting. Worshiping and fasting. When it uses the word worship, it carries the idea of not just singing, but worship in all areas of your life. They were obeying him, loving him, following him, serving him. They were doing everything in their life as worship. Some translations say that they were ministering to the Lord, that they were doing these things for the Lord. It's like Romans 12, 1, that Paul calls the, the Christians in this passage to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, give all of yourself as a sacrifice to the Lord. And then in verse 1, he says, that is your spiritual worship. It's the worship that they were doing. They were worshiping God in everything, with everything that they had. And then they were fasting. Fasting is not common, I feel like, in America in a spiritual sense, but fasting is the, it's the act of going without a, a common need and instead seeking the Lord during that time. So what people will often do is they'll fast from food for, for a day or for 12 hours or for two days. And in that time, instead of eating, instead of drinking, they'll pray, read scripture, and they'll seek the Lord. They'll rely on the Lord to sustain them while they don't go or they go without the the food. Or for some of us, maybe we do a social media fast. And so this church was fasting and seeking the Lord. And, And one writer would say that this showed the church was in a mood. They had this particular expectancy and openness to the moving of the Lord. You could say it like this. They knew God was going to do something and they were waiting to find out what it was. They knew that God was up to something and they wanted to find out. So they were seeking the Lord's will. They were fasting and going it without certain things so that they could know where and what God was about to do, where he was going to do it, how he was going to do it. And I want to ask you this, church. Do you have the attitude of expecting the Lord to do something mighty through you and through this church? Because sometimes we get a little complacent. But do you in your heart truly believe God could do something mighty through me? Not that you're special, but that he might use you to accomplish his mission. I think of a kid before their, their birthday, like the week leading up to their birthday, there's that excitement like they're expecting what they got, they're guessing, like, oh, what did, what did grandma and grandpa bring me this year? Or, or did mom and dad get everything on my wish list? Kids these days are like, did I get a PS5 and an iPhone, whatever? Uh, but they're excited, they're expecting, wondering, what did I get? I wonder for us as a church, is there that level in us where we're like, man, I wonder what God's gonna do next. I wonder how God's gonna move next. Are we excited to see the Lord move? Are we waiting for his will to be revealed to us? Or have we just kind of uh, put the Tesla in autopilot and we're just kind of cruising through life? The church at Antioch was doing what all Christians should be doing, worshiping the Lord in everything and waiting for him to move. By the way, I wish I had a Tesla and if anybody wants to gift me one, I will not say no. Uh, It's just offers out there, so do with that what you will. Uh, And so they're worshiping the Lord, they're waiting for him. And I truly believe that sometimes we neglect to go on a mission field or, or to share the gospel with somebody because we neglect to worship Jesus daily. 
We neglect to spend time with him. So when the Holy Spirit pushes us to do an act of ministry, we pass up on it because we're not preparing for the work of the Lord. Uh, my junior year in high school, I played basketball, and I was what you would call the sixth man, which is a fancy way of saying I started the game on the bench. Uh, and I was the first one to come in during the game. And so as a sixth man, you kind of have to prepare your mind mentally because you don't get to start the game. And so you have to kind of hype yourself up, psych yourself, like get yourself ready so when your coach calls you in, you're ready to perform. You're ready to go. You don't get five minutes to kind of warm up and get into the flow of things. You've just got to jump in and play well. And in the same way for us as Christians, we should be preparing ourselves for the move of God. We should be preparing ourselves for God calling us and leading us. So when he calls you, when he commissions you, when he pushes you out, you're ready. You're, you're able and willing to do what God is calling you to do. There was one man by the name of Henry Martin. He said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The closer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. And I wonder if many of us in our lives, we see a lack of an evangelistic heart because we're not close to the Lord. And the truth is, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we desire to share the gospel, the more we desire to live as a missionary. I love one of our students, he, he's playing the drums, one of our college students, uh, he's been getting in trouble at work because he keeps praying for people and sharing the gospel. I'm like, that's a, that's a pretty good reason to get in trouble uh, at work or to get reprimanded or told, hey, stop praying with people. I mean, I, I think he told his boss, he said, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I just can't. So, you know, do with that what you will. But that's an, an example of getting closer to the Lord in that, that missionary heart just oozes out of you because it's the heart of God. And we'll keep moving in the passage, but I think this is true in the New Testament, that every person is viewed as a missionary in the eyes of God. If you're a Christian, God views you as a missionary. You are placed in the arena of life that you are in for a reason. The people that are in your life are there for you to reach with the gospel. God has put you right where you are to reach the people around you. That crazy neighbor is not an accident. That wild family member is on purpose because God has put you there to reach them, to share the gospel with them. I wonder if we begin to view ourselves as that, if we would begin to see more evangelistic fruits in our church. We begin to see more and more people being baptized and saved by the church going out. Because now in America, we do this weird thing where it's like, you got to come and hear the guy preach on Sunday morning, and he'll, he'll preach the gospel, and that's how we get people saved. But I've been telling my students over the past couple months, uh, that is one of the worst strategies I could think of, that you have to get your friends in your schools to come to youth group on Wednesdays, and then I share the gospel, and hopefully they get saved. That's a terrible strategy. What's much better is the church, the, the 100, 200, 300 members in the church go out into their areas of work and share the gospel and see people get saved. That is effective evangelism. That is how the church grows. That is how the gospel is supposed to be spread. It's not about a man on the stage, but it's about the church in the world pointing people to Jesus. But here's the thing. I think many Christians doubt their ability to be used. I think there's some of you in the room right now that probably doubt your gifting, your ability. You say, God would never want to use me. 
Like, I, I don't public speak. I don't know that much theology. Like, God doesn't want me. He wants you on the stage. or He wants that missionary on the, the mission field. But God wouldn't use me. I'm not that good. I'm not that smart. I'm not that outgoing. God would never use someone like me. But the good thing is, God doesn't need a superstar. And in fact, I think God doesn't want a superstar. If you think you're a superstar, you're probably riding the bench right now. Because listen to what 1 Corinthians says. God, or Paul says this. He says, but God, and this should be on the screen, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's basically saying, God picks things that are weak and useless in this world, and he uses them to accomplish his mission. So the beautiful thing, as we are calling you to go with the gospel everywhere, all across the world, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't even have to have like amazing self-confidence because God chooses what is weak in the world to accomplish his mission. God chooses those who are sometimes ill-equipped and unprepared and then he equips them, he prepares them, and he uses them. Anytime someone gets saved or revival breaks out, we never should look at the person who preaches the message and say, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. Because at the end of the day, they're just a weak vessel used by God to bring the gospel to the nations. And so I would say this as we move into the next point. Instead of doubting your ability, spend time preparing for the Lord to use you. And as you prepare, I believe that that calling will come out of that. Calling comes from your, your spiritual worship and your seeking of the Lord. Because I believe that God has a call on your life. The question is, are you preparing for it? Are you preparing to be used, to be called by God, to be used to, to magnify his son? And so we'll skip some parts in Acts chapter 3 because it's a very long chapter, but I'll, I'll summarize what we're going to skip. And verses 4, to, 4 through 12, our missionaries are sent out and they encounter this false teacher named Bar-Jesus. And they, they deal with this guy pretty quickly uh, by the power of the Spirit. Paul calls him an uh, uh, enemy of all unrighteousness and a son of the devil. Not a 2023 message, but he says it. So they deal with him. And then Paul goes on and he preaches this amazing sermon to this Jewish audience John Stott would say point one of the sermon, he basically summarizes the whole Old Testament and God's graciousness to the Jews. And then point two, he talks about Jesus' death and resurrection. And point three, he asks them, are you going to choose life or death? Are you going to follow Jesus or not? And that's the sermon. And so we're going to pick up and see the aftermath from this sermon. So if you would just have an open Bible, we're going to walk through these verses. And we're going to see, and I want to emphasize this idea of light and darkness in verses 42 through 52, light and darkness. One of the reasons that we go with the gospel is because we have a light in a dark world. And so we're going to see that. It says in verse 42, as they went out after the sermon has ended, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. So on this missionary journey, they find these receptive ears to the gospel. It says that they're literally begging the disciples, begging these missionaries, please come back next week and tell us more. As a youth pastor, it is my dream that one Wednesday we would end and students would come up to me and say, can we talk about that passage more? Can you keep talking about Jesus and the gospel? But that's what they find here. 
In this, this, this preaching of the word, the people say, please tell us more. Please come back next week and talk about Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And it says, after the meeting, the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. That's not just speaking about a physical following, but a spiritual following. These men, some of these Jews, began to become Christians. They followed, they heard the gospel message and responded and are following Paul and Barnabas spiritually as they're following Jesus. People are getting saved. And it says that Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. Our missionaries here, they share the gospel, people get saved, and then they urge them to continue in that gospel, to continue in that grace. This made me think about the Great Commission because our call as disciples is not to preach the gospel, get people saved, and then just move on to the next town. But our call is preach the gospel, see people get saved, and then urge them to continue in grace, to urge them to observe all that Jesus has taught and commanded. We are called to evangelize and make disciples. If you only evangelize and don't make disciples, you're not fully ministering to those people and leading them where Jesus would have them go. But Paul and Barnabas, not Barabbas, uh, sorry to him uh, if you know anything about your Bible, uh, but we are urged to continue, to continue in grace and to call other people to do the same. And then you see it says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Turns out that these people were serious. They wanted to hear the gospel. And so almost the whole city comes back to hear Jesus preached. Beautiful. I've said it before, but Blaise Pascal, he he wrote many years ago, he said that every single person has a God-sized hole in their heart. I think Pastor David talked about this a little while ago, that all of us have a God-sized shaped hole in our heart that only Jesus can fill. And all of us will experience emptiness and dissatisfaction in this life if we don't have Jesus. If we don't have Jesus satisfying us and filling us, if we don't have Jesus that saves us, we will experience dissatisfaction. Nothing can satisfy but Jesus. Every single person has a longing to be reunited with their Savior, whether they realize it or not. And I think we see some of that in this passage. These people are coming out to hear the gospel because they're beginning to realize there's something that they don't have in life, Jesus. I I can get sad sometimes when I look at unbelievers in this world and you see them trying to fill their life with all these things that they think will satisfy them and they just let them down. They're like, oh man, this will be the house. This will be the vacation. This is the one that I've been waiting for. This will do it. I'll, I'll sleep with this person. I'll get this job. I'll make this money. I'll do this thing. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. But if you're a Christian, you know there is no satisfaction outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for you and I, you ask the question, why do we go with the gospel? Because God has entrusted us with the one message that can save and satisfy every single person in the earth. All the people in the world are waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus, whether they realize it or not. They're longing to be reunited with their creator, and you and I are the ones given to share that message. Uh, Tony Evans gave this sermon illustration one time, and he said, it's like this. It's like a little boy who's at Disney World, and, and he's at Disney World, and he gets separated from his parents. 
And he's out there, he's enjoying life, he's uh, looking at Mickey, looking at Donald Dunk, riding the rides, and he's enjoying himself. He doesn't even realize that he's lost. But then there's the the father who knows that his child is lost and is, is seeking out his child. And so he goes to the security officers and he asks, can you help me reunite with my child? And then the security officer takes the father to the boy and the lost boy is found. And he said, it's like this, the lost boy is the unsaved people in the world. They're enjoying their life, they're, they're living it up, they think they're happy, but they don't realize that they're lost and separated from their father that created them. And he said, you and I are the security officers, bringing the lost boy back to the father. When we share the gospel and someone is saved, we are reuniting the creation with their creator. Do you get that? That's the beauty of what we get to do. We are the vessels in which people hear the gospel then are brought back to their creator, back to their father, back to the one who knows them, loves them, and will satisfy them and save them. You may know someone right now who is running from the Lord, but they're loving it. And as you see them, it is your responsibility to share the gospel with them, to go with the gospel to them. I want to skip down. And so the Jews, they get jealous. They get jealous because the, 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 the lost are there to hear Paul preach the gospel and not hear them talk about the Torah. And so they get jealous and they begin opposing the gospel work. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Basically, the Jews don't listen. So Paul says, that's fine. I'm talking to the Gentiles now. And he says this, for the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That verse right there, he's citing Isaiah 49, six, that was originally spoken to the Israelites. But Paul, in a lot of ways, he's basically saying that verse is for the church now. Israel failed. So Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he brought salvation, and now he's entrusted the church to be the light in the world. We are the ones that take the light to the ends of the earth. It is our responsibility to take the gospel to people. We see God's evangelistic heart runs all throughout scripture. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, he has always been about trying to seek and save the lost, about redeeming humanity to himself, bringing them back to him. The Bible describes those who are not saved as being in darkness. In Acts 26, when Paul is called to follow Jesus by Jesus himself, Jesus says that he was sending Paul so that he may turn others from darkness to light. That those who are not Christians are in darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says that for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And we were walking in darkness. Uh, Colossians 1.13 would say there is a domain of darkness in this world that many people are under. In, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is encouraging believers to not be unequally yoked. And he says this question. He says, what fellowship has light with dark? 
The Bible teaches that those who are unsaved are in a darkness spiritually, but the Bible teaches us here that as the church, we are the ones that have the light of the gospel message. We go out into the world to the ends of the earth with the gospel because if we don't, these people remain in spiritual darkness. They remain separated from the Father with eternal judgment resting on them. But you and I, as the church, we've been entrusted to go with the gospel. It's urgent. It's been given to us. Jesus says in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you, talking to the church, this is on the screen, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As the church, we are called, we are sent, we are the light in the dark world because we point people to Jesus. And so churches in America do a good job at being focused on all the wrong things focused on a man on the stage or a building or a style of music or this, that, or the other, and not focusing on the mission. And hear me clearly, your mission in this life is not to live for you, but it's to make much of Jesus. It's to go with the gospel to the nations. That is our job as a church. That is your job as an individual Christian is to go with the gospel. And if you were to say, no, I'm not called, you know, to be a missionary, that's the Lord just didn't place that, you're lying or you don't know your Bible. We are all given this call. And so my encouragement to us as a church here in Calvary is to focus on Jesus and his mission, is to get serious about it. It's what we're called to do. More on that in just a minute. We'll see how, how their missionary efforts end. I need to wrap up here. Just buckle up. We'll get there. Uh, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of someone's conversion story to play a hand in seeing someone get saved. Uh, I remember when Evan, who's on the camera in the back, came to camp with us, and when he got saved, that was a huge thing for me. I think I was 21, 22 at the time, and that just lit a fire in me. But you know what the cool thing is? The whole church played a part in that. Because as you guys give to the church, that doesn't go for me to go buy a Tesla as a pastor, no. That funds the ministry. I was able to pay for other uh, volunteer leaders to go to camp through our youth ministry budget, and all of that played a part in him getting saved. Those who give money at the dessert auction played a part in sending that one kid to camp, and he got saved. And that is what we all can play a part in, is sharing the gospel, fueling the work of the ministry, praying people into the kingdom. And that's the beauty. We see that these disciples, these missionaries, they share the gospel and people get saved. But if we are honest, one, one quick note, that is why I would encourage any parent of any child, as much as you can, have your kids in kids' ministry and student ministry. 
Because in those environments, we are constantly pointing your kids to Jesus. I will never not preach Jesus on a Wednesday night. And so I would encourage you, as much as you can, bring your students to youth group. Bring your kids into Kid City so they can hear the gospel. And church, I would encourage you, continue to tithe. Continue to give because that fuels the work of the ministry. You see the flags that are across the room. Many of these flags, we have missionaries. You look in your booklet and there's name after name of people that we are sending money to every single month to support them sharing the gospel across the world. And I'll say this. If one person in this room was to rise up and to say, you know what, I'm called to go to the foreign mission field, you know whose responsibility it is to send them, to fund them, and to support them? All of us. You know, I've been thinking about, uh, I'm, I'm completely off of my notes, so I apologize, but I've been thinking about like side hustles, and I'm like, man, what side hustle can I do to get a little bit extra cash? And you know what I do with that? It's selfish. It's like, I get a little bit of extra cash so I can do some more fun things. But not once have I ever said, man, I want a side hustle so I can send more missionaries to the mission field. But as the church, that is how radical we should be. Is that if someone came forward and said, I want to go to the field, we'd say, brother, we got you. Sister, we're sending you. Don't worry about it. That's what the church should look like. That's what the church should do. There's opposition to the gospel. The devil hates the gospel being shared. Pastor David will tell you all the time, if you sign up for a mission trip, expect the devil to push back, expect the devil to fight, and it's true. The prince of darkness hates when the light of the gospel is spread. He hates when his domain of darkness shrinks smaller and smaller and smaller. We see in our passage that many Gentiles came to faith, but many of the Jews didn't. They rejected and caused issues and caused problems. That's encouraging and discouraging at the same time. Encouraging in the sense of you might share the gospel and someone might not get saved. That's not your fault. Some people just reject the gospel. But it's discouraging in the same sense because some people reject the gospel. Not everybody will get saved. Not every student in a student ministry will come to faith in Christ and follow as a disciple. And that is heartbreaking. But that's why we go. That's why we share because they need the gospel. And man, how are we gonna land this plane? Let's look at John 20, verse 21. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You say, man, why such a big emphasis on missions? Why are you screaming at me to go with the gospel to the nations? It's because you're called and you're sent by our Savior. Just as Jesus came down from heaven and died on a cross to save us, just as he was sent by the Father, now he sends us. It is a biblical call that rests on all of our lives to go with the gospel. And there must be an urgency in this because people die daily without a relationship with the Lord and sadly, they go to hell. And we must ask the question, if not me, then who? Like, think about the lost people in your life. If you don't share the gospel, then who will? Can you trust that someone else will do it? 
Or could it be that God has placed those people in your life for you to share the life-giving message of the gospel? The, the president at my, my school, Southeastern, would always ask the question, he would say this, he'd say this statement. He would say, you shouldn't ask whether you're called to the mission field, but he said, you should ask whether you're called to stay. Because he would point us always to the urgency of global missions, because we share the gospel in our city, but there are people who die every single day, and they die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. It's what we would call an unreached people group. People who live and die never knowing who Jesus is or what he's done, never having a chance to respond to the gospel message. And he would say to us all the time, don't ask whether you're called to to go, but ask, man, should you stay? He was echoing the the words of Lottie Moon, a, a famous missionary. She went to the mission field by herself faithfully to the Lord, and she said this, a young man should not ask if it is duty to go to the mission field, but he should ask if he dare stay home, because the command is simple in the Great Commission. It says, go. Simple. I think we should think about this in terms of identity and purpose as we end. You can ask yourself the question, who am I and what am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? The way you answer that question determines everything about your life. Who am I and what am I here for? As a Christian and as a child of God, we get the beauty of answering that question by saying, I'm a child of God and I'm here to expand the kingdom of God. That is my purpose. I think we should ask, not man, how do I fit the great commission into my life? Because that's what the average Christian does. How do I kind of, you know, add a little bit of Great Commission spice into my life? But we should ask, how do I fit my life around the Great Commission? Do you get that? That's the radical Christianity that we should have. That's the biblical Christianity that we should have. Not how do I uh, fit like one mission trip into my life every couple of years, but how do I fit the Great Commission in evangelizing to the nations into my life? How do I make that the goal of my life? Hudson Taylor, or no, sorry, William Carey said this. He said, I'm not afraid of failure, but I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure, but I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. One of the things that is most important in your life is fulfilling the mission of God. So the the worship band can come up as we we close. I want you to rest and, and, and wrestle with that. The most important thing that you do as a Christian is to share the gospel. And now I think about as as a father, the most important thing that I can instill into my son is one that Jesus loves him and that he's called to go. And, And I wrestle with that now as a father because I'm like, man, if the Lord calls me to the mission field, and this is, this is something we all should wrestle through. Doesn't matter if you're a successful businessman, businesswoman, doesn't matter if you're a, a sophomore in high school or you're a college student or a parent of a young child. We all should wrestle with, Lord, will you send me to the mission field? Like, will you send me out? We're all sent to our city. We should go on mission trips. 
But I would, I would encourage you to wrestle with the idea, would God call you to the mission field, to full-time missions in another country? Like Lottie Moon said, <laughs> we should ask if we dare stay. That's a big question to wrestle with. But as we close, I just wanna lay before you five things, five things for you to think through. Don't worry, this is not like a whole nother sermon. I just want, maybe you might need to today, this morning, repent of misplaced priorities. I hope through the scriptures that you've seen, your purpose in this life is to go to the nations. And maybe you've realized my priorities are all out of whack. They are all misplaced. And what you can do today is repent of that. And be forgiven of that. Maybe you look at your finances and you say, it's all out of whack. It is not aligned with what I say I believe. Maybe two, today is when you commit to going. You commit to going to your workplace, to your neighborhood, but maybe you also commit to going on a foreign mission trip. If you have that mission booklet in there, you can see all these opportunities that are laid out locally and globally. This summer, mission trip to Romania. This summer, mission trip to Nicaragua for students. Coming up soon, packing parties and OCC operation centers, service days for our kids' ministries, disaster relief trips. There are opportunities. And so maybe you would say today, I've heard from the word that I'm called to go and I'm just gonna say yes and then leave it open for how the Lord leads. Because that's what we should all do. Uh, just full stop, Lord, I will go wherever you lead. You say, I see the price on the mission trip, $2,500. No clue how I pay for that, but Lord, I'm trusting you right now to make a way. And that be the kind of faith that we have. That be the kind of attitude that we have as the church. Number three, begin preparing. Begin worshiping the Lord and seeking him. So when you're called, because some of us right now have not been worshiping the Lord. So as you're hearing that, like, oh, you might go on a mission trip. You're like, oh, no, not me. Begin preparing, begin worshiping. Four, I've already said it, but consider if the Spirit is sending you to the field, sending you to one of these countries around the world, consider it. And number five, look for the mission field here in our city. So as we close, I think there is power in a public declaration. Because it's easy in our minds and in our hearts to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. But when we make that public, it brings in accountability, but there is such power in that. And so as the, as the band worships and, and as we come to a close, here would be my challenge to you. And as, as a Baptist church, it makes us uncomfortable to move. But here's my challenge. If you today would say, I'm committing to go no matter what that looks like, no matter what trip that is, no matter what person that is that I'm gonna share the gospel with, I'm committing to go and trust in the Lord that he will lead. I would love for you to come forward and just bow before the Lord, to make that public declaration in front of our brothers and sisters, but to bow before the Lord. Whether you've gone on a mission trip before or not, if you're saying, Lord, I'm committing to go with the, like just a, an intensity that I have not had before, I would love for you 
to make that declaration, whether you're a student or a senior adult, God is calling you. The question is, will you respond? And because of how fickle we are, sometimes we need the accountability. And so would you, as the band begins to sing, come forward and declare to our church, but most important to the Lord, here I am, send me. And then worship him and see how he leads. I invite you to pray.